Welcome to the bullpen. Okay, in the bullpen today, we have Mr. Reed Cooley. He's back, our policy fellow, Independent Institute, lifelong writer, Mississippi native, very accomplished individual. All right, good day, sir, welcome. Hey, Dr. Richie, how are you? I'm doing quite well. We're gonna chop it up about the US Constitution, maybe some of the problems with the Constitution. Perhaps you and I can even agree on a thing or two. I don't want to presume what you know or believe about the Constitution. Uh, and how it relates to America today. So if you would give us your sentiment and I will opine. Uh, sure, so looking at it objectively uh, just um, requires us to point out that the founding fathers who crafted our constitution, while brilliant and undeniably visionary were deeply flawed individuals. As is commonly acknowledged, many of them were slave owners and many of the decisions that they made yielded deep seated negative consequences for untold millions of people, both present and future. Some examples of this are commonly understood and taught in most schools today. Others, however, are less known and I'm happy to share them with your audience later in this interview. But the Constitution's greatest shortcoming without question is that it was a tremendous expansion of centralized government power during its time. After all, its very purpose on ratification was to shift more power towards the federal government. This centralization of authority away from the state and local governments and into the hands of Washington DC not only gave way to the massive bloated oligarchic superstate that we see today, but allowed for many of this country's deepest moral failures to become universalized across every corner of this country in the forms of Supreme Court precedent and federal law. Unfortunately, because the erosion of states' rights as enshrined in the 10th Amendment has been the norm since our country's very foundation, the only remedy for correcting these legal wrongs has been in decades and decades of hard fought legal reform on the federal level. An outcome that is only met with mixed levels of success and in far too many cases comes generations after it should. It's for these reasons that I consider myself a bit of a constitutional cautionist, only acknowledging the constitution's merits where I believe they're warranted from the perspective of someone who values individual liberty above all else. And while it's true that at least the Constitution is a document that's willing to improve itself over time, in the vast majority of cases, the Constitution's only merits have been in correcting errors that it itself allowed to happen in All the right, first place. Brother Reed, I, I don't mean to interrupt, brother. Uh, are you reading something that you wrote? Uh, yes, sir. All right, so I want you to look at the bullpen this way. You ever seen a freestyle battle to rappers? Freestyle? Of course, of course. Right. They got already know some things in their mind, but you you don't come you know to a freestyle. This is a debate. You don't come reading a document because sure. I would like us to be in conversational format for the sake of those who are watching it. Is that all right, brother? Uh, yeah, of course, sure. Okay. I mean, that, that, that's what I was expecting as well. I just had this bit here that I wanted to provide at the beginning because I believe in precision of language, but I was fully expecting the sort of organic back and forth that you're explaining. Okay. So, yes. All right. Well, thank you for that. So you you and I agree. You say they were deeply <coughs> flawed individual. Uh, they were racist as hell. Uh, no. So whenever you talk about the founding fathers, it's important to understand that they're not a monolith. So right, that's when, correct. But many yeah, right, of them, right. many of them were racist. Yes. All right, and so you have just proven a sentiment of critical race theory, ironically, because what you have just proven in your proclamation 
is that their personal bias is attributed to the document, the law, policy, statute, constitution that they decided to pin. Which is a dynamic of critical race theory that says that bias must be analyzed through a particular lens in order to unravel it. Now, what you have said is that the biggest issue with the constitution is I think the national the nationalizing of it is that the biggest issue? How it created a larger government rather than smaller government? Well, the larger government allowed for, like I said, many of this country's you know deepest moral failures such as racism uh, to come into play. And you know, you 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 actually approached uh, you know your most recent bit of feedback there with what seems like an assumption that I just want to dispel. You said, ironically, uh, I've, I've sort of you know, proven something about critical race theory. Um, whenever it comes to issues of race, I actually catch a lot of criticism from conservatives and libertarians, people uh, who, who I share the political right with, because I actually do believe that there's, a, there's a, at least a kernel of truth to the idea that systemic racism exists in the United States. Um, however, I do believe that instead of believing that it's some sort of a invisible, pervasive sort of abstract unseen force, Corrupting the institutions, of, you know, corrupting every every fabric of our society. I believe that it, it exists in very select institutions, which we can reform one at a time in very concrete ways. Uh, I yeah. think that one example is obviously our, our broken criminal justice system. Yeah, I agree with you, Reed. And by the way, critical race theory does not uh, mandate that it is applicable to every aspect of the existence of institutions right. and norms. So let's go right. back to something that you said that was quite interesting. Um, I'm not a constitutional guy. I believe the constitution uh, has deep problems. Uh, and the constitution believes it has deep problems, evidenced by the fact that it has amendments. Amendments are the fancy words that mean corrections to the US constitution. But there are individuals who will argue things like, and I would like to get your idea about this, that, that bearing arms, that the right to bear arms is actually a natural right, okay? So yes, it's absolutely a constitutional right. There's no debate. And there's a litany of doctrine associated with that constitutional right. And you see some of that permeating in state legislatures today. All of those legislatures are conservative as it relates to something called constitutional carry. We'll get to that in a minute. But do you believe that the right to bear arms is a natural right or a constitutional right that you grow into? I guess I'm trying to understand what you mean by a right that you grow into. It's important to understand whenever it comes to our right to bear arms. Our right to bear arms is actually inspired by the English Constitution, which came about 90 years before, right? Um, I think that you know, the right to defend oneself and the right to the right to overthrow a tyrannical government, if necessary, uh, that is something that is sort of, that, that is a that is a natural right. I think that, that I would agree with that. Okay, um, well, let me go back. Fortunately, so that, that we have a constitution that that wasn't that my for exact the most question. Part, okay, that wasn't my exact question. Uh, but since you brought something up, I, I do want to uh, opine on that. The original idea, according to historians, of the right to bear arms was not really to protect individual liberties. Uh, it was actually to stop. A national army. Are you aware of that? Yes, I mean I've read a good bit about this. So okay. John John Adams and Alexander Hamilton actually had had a bit of a, a very severe disagreement over this sure. because Alexander Hamilton was incredibly enthusiastic about the prospects of a standing army. John Adams, though he was a member of the same party as Hamilton, did not, and they preferred you. Know, Adams preferred the prospect of a, of a militia. 
uh, as correct. opposed to a standing army. Yes, that is correct. So now let's go back to the natural right versus constitutional right. Now I give it some context so you understand the premise of my question. I think that's fair. Um, voting between the 14th to the 20, 14th, 15th, 17th, 19th, 26th, 24th Amendment. It all protects your right to vote. So we've determined, all right, you have a constitutional right to vote. You have a right to vote and that vote is protected by the US Constitution. That's not a natural right. Meaning when you're born, you don't have that right. You have to be birthed into that right through age, okay? So age gives you that right, you can exercise that right. A natural right is like a right of due process. No matter how old you are, if the American government is going to deprive you of liberty or life, no matter what your age is, you have a natural right of due process. Meaning they have to go through a process in order to prosecute you to take away your life or liberty. That's another natural right. I have heard those on the right argue that bearing arms is a natural right as well. Do you agree with that argument or disagree with that argument? Mm, I would say that I'm inclined to agree with that argument, but I can see whether- Hmm. That the right to bear arms is a natural right, something that you're more or less born into as opposed to growing into upon a certain age. Yeah, why and do you I'm think I'm it's asking. a natural right? Right. Why do you think it's a natural right um, that you, which means you have that right when you're born? Tell me why you believe that. So what I really wanted to explore here for the sake of answering your question in the most honest way that I possibly can, because that's ultimately what I'm trying to do here. I guess I'm trying to understand you know, this, this premise behind a constitutional right at all, like why, why, such a, why such a thing needs to exist. To me, the constitution exists to acknowledge natural rights that already exist. There's no such thing as a right that only originates within the constitution and any right that you know, I'm sorry, any law or any Supreme Court ruling, for example, that infringes upon any right whatsoever is is completely invalid. Um, so okay. yeah, I mean, I guess right. yeah, yeah. Let, this let me distinction go between natural rights and constitutional rights, I find a little bit bizarre. So uh, let, I guess me, let me try yeah, to clear it up for you so you understand better. There's a there's a movement inside of the conservative party that says the right to bear arms is a natural right. Which means that states which have an age qualifier, and by the way, all states do, states that have an age qualifier for you to bear arms, those states are in violation of the Constitution. They are already chipping away at common sense laws, such as um, obtaining a permit to conceal and carry. Texas has done that, Georgia has now done away with that prerequisite as well, and other states are to follow. This is them getting closer to the right to bear arms being a natural right. So before they get to that other conclusion, which they are trying to desperately get to, I'm asking you directly, do you think you are born with the right to bear an arm in the United States of America? Or do the states have it right when they say you have that right when you turn a particular age, it's called the age of majority, and states have it different. There are a few states that age of majority is actually 17. When you turn age of majority, you are then graduated into that particular right. You can exercise that right, just like you can't exercise the right to vote when you're born. You have to exercise that right once you come of legal age to do so. You don't think the right to bear arms is a similar dynamic. You think it's a natural. Uh, yes, I think that I would agree uh, to an extent, but- Agree with the, what? I, I think that I would probably agree, I'm sorry, yeah, my, my apologies. I think I would probably agree with the idea that, uh, that, that the right to bear arms, meaning the right to overthrow a tyrannical government, 
um, if, it, if it comes out of line, is it something that you're born into as opposed to something that you need to be 18 or 21 or any other age uh, you have to grow into? So if a child is five, <clears throat> they have the right to bear arms in your world. That, that's just, that just seems like an absolutely absurd and bizarre question. I mean, a five-year-old can't no, possibly- No, your conclusion seems absurd and bizarre that anyone is born into the right to bear a gun. That was your conclusion. Does a five-year-old have a right to freedom of speech? Yes. Okay, yeah, then there you go. I mean, it, 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 it logically follows if we're following consistency. All right, so you just said <clears throat> that a five-year-old, this is basically your conclusion. A five-year-old should have the right to bear an arm, correct? Sure. And you said that what I said was bizarre. No, I mean, you, you've said pretty bizarre things throughout the entirety of this interview, to be honest. So, okay, what else? Bizarre but, 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 I mean, a, five, a five year old can't possibly conceptualize okay, uh, the Mr. right Cooley. to bear arms. It is, sure, Cooley. it exists on paper. What else? But Mr. Cooley, you're defeating <clears throat> yourself here, sir. No, what else no, have no, I said? I'm trying, I'm trying to have a legitimate conversation. What here. I'm trying to as well. And right. when you guys yeah. come to the table with things like children, have a natural right to bear arms, I have to challenge that because there's current policy and legislation getting us closer to that dynamic in the United States of America. And what I want to show is not only the hypocrisy in that sentiment, but also the ridiculousness in the application of that rule. Bottom line is bearing arms is not a natural right. That's the right conclusion. You came to the other conclusion, which is wrong. And I think you realized that in mid flight that what you said was silly. I'm just uh, like I said. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to, to follow your reasoning here. Uh, you know, to be honest, the, the the distinction between a constitutional right and a national right, as and a natural right, as it applies to the Second Amendment, uh, is something that I haven't studied that deeply, and is something that I'd, I'd like well, to say more. Well, you should have said that in the beginning, Cooley. Rather well, than I, I tried to get list. to that. Well, I, I tried to get to that, but you've made oh, nothing so but rash assumptions the entirety of this interview. Cooley, it's called the <laughs> bullpen. It's a debate. You come right. prepared to talk no, about the Constitution. No, we, we came to this fact. debate talking about Cooley. the shortcomings of the Constitution. That's right, Cooley. And you immediately bridged into the Second Amendment. Is the Second Amendment in the Constitution? It is. It's a, okay. it's a very specific well, subset of the Constitution. What did my producer tell you we were going to talk about today per your request? What did they tell you we'll talk about based on the what you asked? The shortcomings of the Constitution. That's, That's damn it. right. And the Second Amendment is a shortcoming if you believe it's a natural right. Now tell me where we're wrong at. You picked out the subject. You want to talk about the Constitution. Your ass came up here unprepared, and you're calling me ridiculous. Like I said, yeah. Well, I mean, this has been ridiculous, Dr. Ritchie. I mean, all the way through. It absolutely you have has a good been. day, sir. I agree with you on that. That's sure. one thing we actually agreed to. Thank you, sir. Have a great one.